Welcome to the Hearts Rise Up podcast. Rising up to life's challenges is hard work, especially in today's world with so much stress, chaos, and fear, all of which can pull us down if we let it. We don't have to let outer circumstances or others dictate how we feel and act or define who we are. Now, more than ever, is the time to awaken our own inner power, dig deep, and rise up to our best self, our loving, heart-centered, higher self. That's what this Hearts Rise Up podcast is all about. When we tap into our inner power, we elevate ourselves, our life, and the world around us. It's that simple. So let's get right into today's episode. I am really proud today to bring on our featured guest, Jess Viegas. Let me tell you a little about Jess. He's a very, very interesting fella. Jess is the principal of Leading Concepts Group, a business consulting firm assisting small and medium-sized businesses in the areas of strategy, leadership, and management development. He's also the CEO of Clo and Cowan, a water infrastructure and technology company based in the Southwest. Jess leverages personal leadership, financial and operational skills, and philosophies to drive individual and organizational success. He's the architect of a unique organizational leadership application called Leading for the Rest of Us, which is designed to elevate the influence of individuals who seek to be impactful in their organizations, but who do not necessarily have a formal title. Jess's business philosophy is to raise awareness of mental processes and habits that limit organizational growth, facilitate more constructive patterns of thinking, and champion the concepts that how we are being in a business fundamentally impacts how we are acting in a business. Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you here. I'd love for you, if you would, to take a minute or two um, or three to tell us a little bit more about you personally and professionally. So uh, I guess, uh, first of all, I, I've been in the business world for a lot of years. So, so the resume says that I've been in business for over 30 years primarily in uh, financial and operations. And then over time, I started to um, introduce more elements around learning about organizations and management and leadership. So I tried to combine all three of those things in order to uh, integrate all three things in order to be the most effective leader I can be. Well, I bet you've experienced a lot over the course of your career and just your life in general. Mm -hmm. So we really want to dive into some getting some really good tidbits of information. One thing we always ask our guests is, are you ready to rise up now and inspire our listeners today? I am. I'm looking forward to it, and I I, I like to uh, be inspired myself by talking to like-minded people. (laughs) That's what I wanted to hear. Uh, If there was something that you could share with us about a quote or personal uh, guiding principle, something that you, you live by in your life, what would that be? I think uh, one of the anchoring principles in everything I do centers around taking responsibility for the way we react and taking responsibility for our our own perspectives and not imposing those things on other people or blaming other people for the way things are. So a particular quote I like is from uh, the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. And that quote says that impediments to action 
advance action, what gets in the way becomes the way. And the idea there is that uh, most, most of the time people will see an impediment or an obstacle and decide that that has to change what they do. And I'm saying the paradigm should be it should dictate what your next steps are so that you can keep moving and not stop. I also like the sort of philosophical uh, intent around the uh, Stoicism. And this is a quote that I think helps me ground that in my own life. Is there a, an example that you could share with how, how you have lived that out, some sort of example? Yes, I think uh, many, many years ago, um, many years ago, my, I have a daughter who's almost 40 now, but at the time she was two or three years old, and uh, we had a circumstance where um, the story is, is that I thought that she had inadvertently taken a $20 bill off of my desk, and uh, it was uh, back then, it was a $20 that was going to go towards the rent. And uh, she was into money at the time, and she decided that she was going to collect all forms of money. And I think she finally got around to dollar bills instead of coins. Oh, my goodness. So I asked her where the money was, trying to be really nice uh, about it, and she didn't know what I was talking about. After pressing her, she finally ran away, came back, and slammed a quarter on my desk, <laughs> thinking that that's what I was looking for, and it wasn't. And essentially, then, at that point, I was very stressed out. Uh, we needed that money. I sort of wasn't very, very uh, pleasant to her. And for years, that's that was the story. We figured it out and we paid our bill. But years later, I realized that that uh, money had fallen behind a desk and hidden its way in a, between a couple of books. And I realized at that moment that, um, I was very embarrassed, I realized at that moment that for three years, I thought that my daughter was a little thief. But um, I finally figured out that it wasn't her. And the problem was the way I thought about it, not the way yeah. she presented it. And so I've just, it was a long time ago and I've never thought that... Uh, I always thought to myself, you know what, you can be wrong. No matter how right you believe you are, you can be wrong. And that exactly. was a good example of that. Yeah. That reminds me of a time when I was a youngster. Um, I was playing bank inside the house uh, with, in my brother's, um, with my friends in my brother's room. And he had some, some cash stashed in there. And we were, I mean, I got a, a, a real licking. I mean, a, a big licking from my dad because there was, a, there was actually $20. There was like, I think, $50.00. There was two 20s and a 10, and there was a, a either a 10 or a 20 or something missing. Mm -hmm. And it had actually, um, I thought, surely my friends wouldn't have taken the money. And, and so sure enough, though, it, it, was, it was found somewhere in the back of one of the um, drawers, the money. It was like, a, I think it was a $10 bill. Mm -hmm. And... My dad was just like, he couldn't believe it, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So again, it's those, it's those paradigms. It's those things that, that, that we have to... I was thinking, um, if you don't mind me mentioning, just to extend that story a little bit, the thing that was particularly striking to me is that I tend to like to tell stories about my kids because I've learned so much from them. You know, if I hadn't found that money, the story now would be the time my daughter stole $20 from me 30 years ago. And then what I'd be reinforcing to her is the fact that I think, even if I didn't mean it, that I thought a cute story was really accusing her of being a thief and maybe taking things that didn't belong to her, even though she was small. And then how would she think about that when she's 15 years old or 16 years Absolutely. old? Absolutely. So I might have been reinforcing a very, a very, very poor paradigm between us. Absolutely. And so I was fortunate to discover that problem early. Otherwise, I'd still be telling that story in a different way. Exactly. And a great learning experience for both of you. Yes. Let's dive into uh, my next question. Um, 
could you share a story, another a story, a, really a deep story of um, a, your life journey, something where you encountered a challenge or some a series of challenges where you really had to dig deep and rise up to your best self. It was a tough situation because we all know that we, we, throughout the course of our life, we all run into tough situations. Mm-hmm. But it's always wonderful to hear people's stories and how they, how they tackled those situations. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, so I've maybe got a few different experiences there, but I'm actually um, experiencing something even right now that's challenging me and that I'm recognizing that I'm growing from, but it's not, it's not, um, a com- the story's not complete, but I'll share it with you because I think it will be, it'll be fine because I know it will be. Uh, I have increasingly gotten more involved with smaller companies in my consulting business. And the smaller the company, the richer sort of the environment, uh, you you learn a lot more about people, but you also learn a lot more about what's missing in the in the organization. I mean, you exactly. have bigger organizations, you have a lot of resources. You you can you can almost become dispassionate about the resources because you assume they're going to be there because in a company of size they're there. In a smaller company, you really appreciate individuals, but then you also appreciate what it is that you don't have, and so you have to adapt to that culture, and you have to not only adapt but you have to adopt the culture. And many times what leaders are taught is you go in and you blow the culture up, you bring your own people in, you change things quickly. And you can do that, and I have done that. Oh, yeah. And I think I tried to do that, but mm-hmm. I recognized that it took me twice as long to get a result because I was trying to uh, not adopt the culture. I was trying to adapt it faster than it could be adapted. So I think one of the lessons that I have found is that um, you have to honor the environment that you're in. First and foremost, you have to honor the environment. It doesn't matter whether it's your physical environment or the cultural environment, you have to honor it to understand what's going on and what's happening, and then devise a strategy that works within those sets of circumstances instead of having a pre-ordained methodology for how you're going to do something. And I think that's really critical, and that's one of the things I, I try and communicate now in business. So it's keeping an open mind, too, because sometimes you, you know, you, we have these, these paradigms or these ways of thinking, the ways of doing, and then we, we recognize that this is a totally different situation. And it's just like dealing with people. You, you, you can't treat everyone the same way because each individual is different. So you need to be able to adapt um, based on that situation and even the point of interaction or the, the moments of interaction with, with individuals. So that's, um, that, that, that was definitely a, um, an, um, a situation for you. So what did, um, what, uh, moment at, at what point did you really make the, the shift, um, within this, this business in terms of how you operated? So, well, I was what in the triggered middle of- it is what I'm, well, I was in the middle of that uh, process. I knew that intellectually I understood what the steps were. I think very often a person can say, I need to be open-minded, and I need to uh, accept the diversity of opinions. But intellectualizing those things is not the same as internalizing it. Right. Internalizing means that you fundamentally in your heart understand how to proceed. Otherwise, intellectualizing is just, okay, I've got, I've checked off the points that I'm supposed to be, but it doesn't mean you're being that way. Yeah. It's about shifting your patterns and your behaviors and your thought processes. So it's really shifting. Well, I heard somebody say something inadvertently. I don't know where I read it or if I heard it, but 
uh, it was profound. In the middle of this process, I heard the term that said that we should treat every interaction as every interaction, every single one, every moment, every day as a sacred event, which means that no matter who you're talking to, in that moment, it doesn't matter what their standing is, you're standing, that moment deserves 100% of your attention and your time. And I think that moment, that, that encouraged me to actually treat the moment as I had said I would. I'm going to be open. Well, you can't be open if you're not listening. And I think that that was the moment where it helped me advance to the mm-hmm. next level. And I'm experiencing some more success now because of that. So how has it, it changed you for the better in terms of the success that you're experiencing today? One of the things that once you decide or once you understand that there are diversity of opinions out there, and once you disentangle from the idea that you have to be right all the time or even most of the time, once you come to that conclusion, everything becomes very easy because it doesn't become personalized. So then you can conduct yourself in a way where you're not defending everything you think. What you're trying to do is you're trying to determine how what you think might work well with what other people think. And that is a galvanizing uh, moment at that time. Otherwise, you get in the mode of defending everything. And it's just non-productive because then that person defends what they think. And it just goes on and on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I remember a time, even in my career, where I really thought, that, hey, I had all the answers. I mean, I thought I was the, the smartest person when it came to this particular topic. And because of my background. Um, but then I, I soon came to realize I was just being cocky and I needed to just keep myself in check. And I started being more conscious and more cognizant because I, I realized that I wasn't making the progress that I wanted to uh, make uh, at that point in my, in my life, in my career. So I took a step back reflected on that and started shifting uh, my behavior Mm -hmm. and I saw much different results over time. It took a while for me Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those things happen and it's those triggers in life that turn us around and put us in, you know, the the, the right direction to do something more constructive that at the end of the day is is better for us in our lives and, you know, makes a big difference, even though we're still going to continue to have challenges. (laughs) Don't you, don't you think that everyone in some way or another has those very either large or small epiphanies where they recognize that this moment should change me and then the work is to let it change you and then sometimes it doesn't. But I think, um, I think if people can collect enough of those uh, epiphanies that point them in the right direction and they can internalize them, it's, uh, it's, a, it's much easier to sort of contend with, with everything that's going on around you. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you if you could share just a little bit about a blog post of yours that I that I wrote. Mm-hmm. It was the uh, the moonshot um, mm-hmm. uh, blog, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if you would just share a little bit about the um, the experience there that uh, you had gone through with that, and because I thought that was a wonderful um, mm. wonderful article. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so. This is a, a blog. I, I'm not a prolific blogger, so what happens is, um, you know, I'll, I'll write about five or six a year, and I try and put a lot of effort into them. So that's partly my way of procrastinating because I don't know if I have the energy to do more than that. But one of those uh, had to do with how, how um, difficult or how can you see your moonshot. And the opening 
a quote for that blog. It was something along the lines of that now that my uh, my barn having burned down, I have a better view of the moon. And the idea was, okay, I, my barn burned down, but now I can really see what's going on. And the idea was is that I had uh, I'd always been somewhat of a jogger throughout my life just to kind of maintain, keep some health and maintain mm-hmm. some semblance of, of uh, weight, although no one ever mistakes me for a runner. But when I got close to, I don't know, maybe mid-40s, I decided I wanted to run a half marathon uh, at, at the University of Virginia where my son was going to school, and I thought, oh, this would be a chance to go visit my son. So, so why I, did you decide that you wanted to do that? What I start. I, I decided it? that in Halloween of that, that one particular year and started training so I could run the race in April of the following year. So I gave myself six months to prepare. And as I was doing that, I was trying to figure out, well, how many miles should I run for a half marathon? I'd only been running 15 miles a week. Half marathon is 13 miles. And over time, I finally figured out, well, I need to run more than I'm running now. So I just started running more. As I did that, I finally settled on a number that felt right and I'd almost tripled my mileage. And the point of the blog was that um, there was no way in the world, I, if anyone said to me, you better triple your mileage you're gonna run, so you can run that half marathon, I would have said, you know, I'm just going to go visit them. I'm not going to run a half marathon. <laughs> but no one said that to me. So I just started running, lost a few pounds, got a little faster, started enjoying it. And over time started real, realizing that all of the reasons that would have kept me from running that race, there were really reasons that were self-imposed. They, were, they might have been uh, paradigms that other people had about me, but I adopted them. And as I started to realize that I could run more and more miles when I never thought I could, I started thinking, well, maybe I have more time to run or maybe I have uh, more, um, mm-hmm. more resources to run. And I finally realized that all the reasons I had for not running further were all self-imposed. It's easy. We can talk ourselves out of it pretty mm-hmm. easily. Yeah, but you so didn't. You I kept didn't. at it. No, I kept at it because I almost, I almost didn't know any better. But the compelling thing there was, well, I told my son I'm going to run a half marathon, and he was a runner in high school and a quite good one. So I thought, in a way, uh, I wanted to impress him a little bit, and I wanted <laughs> to visit him. So I knew he was going to say, Dad, when are you going to come? How's your training coming? And I just wanted to have the right answer every time he asked me that question. And so through cold, running through cold, and really the worst part of the year to be training, I was able to manage that. But I'm still not a runner. But what I can say is I did complete something that I never thought I could, and it made me realize that um, it was actually easier for me to triple my mileage than it was to start from zero and run any kind of mileage at all. And I just realized the more you accomplish, the, the bigger the opportunities become, and you can advance more quickly. But I had a lot of internal sort of uh, detractors in mm-hmm. my head, and uh, I was able to get sort of past it. But I also have not run a half marathon again because I'm not. <laughs> I also learned from the experience it's not it's not too healthy for my knees. And it's not exactly what you want to do going forward. But you did it. So I did, it's off. I did it. You, you can check it off your bucket list. I did. I did. And I think the, the way I closed the blog was just, uh, listen, there's no reason to. There's plenty of things that can, legitimate things that can keep you maybe from accomplishing what yeah. you want. They're legitimate enough things without you having to create more of them. And so I think that was really the, the point of it. But thanks for bringing that up because I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. That blog, it, uh, it, it uh, got some help and some input from people, and I enjoyed writing it. Well, we'll p- place a link to that blog on the uh, on the show notes, as well as mm-hmm. uh, your website. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's fast forward just a little bit to kind of the current state of, of things in your life journey. What are, what are one or two things that really excite you about what you're, what you're working on or doing today? I, uh, this is going to sound a little bit... Uh, canned and a little trite, but I I absolutely love to see 
um, teams that I've sort of joined or fashioned um, really a- achieve. And, uh, and I think everyone says that, especially for a leader, that's kind of something you're required to say. But, you know, I think a testament to that is uh, I, I do have this uh, consulting business, but I'm also the CEO of, of Clone Con, which is a water infrastructure company. Uh, in order for me to to uh, maintain that role, I have to I do the consulting, but I also need to be in the Southwest for uh, 60, 50 to 60 percent of the month. I, I can't fly there as often as I'm flying there, uh, be away from my wife as often as I'm away from her without having a really compelling reason to go there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that reason is, is that I've sort of developed relationships with with people there and they've become a family and they can and I see absolutely like they can achieve more than they have and I just like to be a part of that I don't like to see any individual or teams underachieve their potential it's very difficult for me to be in that environment even to the extent where um, if I don't think that I'm the answer then I will leave the environment mm-hmm. and then or I'll leave the environment after we we achieve what we have to achieve because at some point in time I'll decide it's not worthwhile for me to be spend that time away from my from my own. Well, you know, I, I mean, I think our basic human nature, although you might not think that in, in today's climate, mm-hmm. uh, because there's just so much chaos and things that seem so counterintuitive. But I think I think our basic human nature is to want to help others lift up, rise up, be better, do better. And if we in some way, form or fashion can do that, um, that that helps serve the greater good, and it really helps to serve these other people because it gives them a boost, and and that's what you're committed to with uh, the company that you're you're contracted with right now is to really um, help them get to where they need to go. And when you see a need, mm-hmm. you're you're working with the team and you're using your skills and mm-hmm. um, and your intuition and your experience. To make that happen. And we've had discernible success. I mean, the individuals, there's individuals now who don't necessarily like everything I'm doing, and uh, they're they're free to uh, yeah, to you always like have it. that. And because I don't know that everything I've done is right, mm-hmm. but what I do know is that we've had a level of success that have allowed all of them to enjoy the fruits of that success. And I'm just really, really proud of that. Anything in particular? Um, I I think... This part of my, the success for me was understanding the environment. It's an interesting situation. I, I can speak Spanish. Uh, I speak it pretty well. Uh, I understand it really well. But the company that I travel into is a border city, and I'm an outsider. So uh, a lot yeah. of people would say to themselves, well, Jess, he's Hispanic. He can speak Spanish. He's a businessman. He's going to do fine. Except that uh, I was looked at as an outsider when I arrived. That's and a challenge. So that's a big challenge, and you start realizing, okay, well, people don't gravitate you just because you might be a similar uh, a color or a, or a or a similar in in the business, and um, that was difficult. So for me, it was getting past that challenge of, of recognizing that I didn't really have the culture understood the way I thought I would. I just made assumptions that I shouldn't have made. Mm-hmm. So I think if the generally if the team is is um, Lift being lifted up, then I'm I'm being lifted up with them at the same time, and that's really my goal. Great, yeah, great. That's good to hear. So, what um, what things are on the horizon for you? What uh, what's 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 the future state look like for you? So I have um, so I'm in the process of 
in the last probably couple of years of this engagement because there's an end game where once the organization achieves a certain level of success, then you know, then, then normal business is going to kick in. What's going to happen is the owners of this company then will want to sell the business and it'll move on. And it's not likely that I would stay with the business at that point. And you would have done your job. And I would have done what I was contracted Helping to do. them to get That's to where right. they need to be. Right. So then what will happen is I'll spend a lot more of my time back in the Atlanta area, Gwinnett County area. Um, I have uh, developed, uh, I, I call it proprietary, but essentially it's called leading for the rest of us. And the idea is that uh, I think uh, this is, I think there's plenty of, but so I always think it's interesting. There's plenty of books written for people who are already managers and leaders, you know, and those are those are wonderful books. But I always thought that uh, I was always been very impressed with like the book of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say the Seven it's Habits of CEOs or the Habits of Managers. It said of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. and that particular book has impacted me significantly. So over the years, I thought, all right, well, uh, I I love those concepts. I've over the years developed some of my own that either complement or maybe go beyond what some of that work is. And I'm not comparing my, my information to that work. That's a, that's a perfect work. But um, I would like to then use that process in order to spend more time in the southeast, travel a little bit less, and uh, have some of my concepts be uh, integrated in managerial uh, and leadership environments. Not necessarily go out and sell books and things like that. I think where I'm most effective is delivering this process to individuals that I think can benefit in the area. Mm. So I would say uh, it's going to be more along the lines of back into mostly consulting and working with small businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds great. Well, all the more power to you. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to fast forwarding down the road and um, having a, you know, circling back and having another conversation with you like uh, in a while. Now we're going to get into our lightning round. Um, I have a number of questions that I just want to, just rattle off and let's just kind of dive right in. Um, what lifts you up every day? Um, I think it's knowing that I overcame that day, hopefully some level of complacency that can sit in where I know that I've sort of advanced myself. It doesn't have to be far, but that I've moved forward and that I got to the end of the day and said, I achieved something even if it was only personal. So it's just overcoming sort of the malaise that sort of creeps into everybody's life every single day. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's, once I get past that, it goes back to the uh, to the moonshot blog. Once I get past what seems like a hard thing, getting moving, then it seems like the rest of the, the, rest of the mm-hmm. day goes smoothly. So I think it's just getting past obstacles. Do you have a particular technique or, or some, a tool in your toolbox that you pull out um, that um, helps you rise up? I do. Um, I have... Uh, I try and do about 10 to 20 minutes of some type of meditation every day, and typically mm-hmm. it's in good me in the morning, but it isn't always, and, and it isn't always every day. But generally, five times a week, I'm going to meditate 10 to 15 minutes. And I have sort of a mantra, and the mantra uh, goes along the lines of, of a chant, but it's not sort of an esoteric chant. It's, it's, uh, the chant is release, receive, and deliver. Oh, I like that. And release and receive deliver tends to incorporate almost everything that I care about. The whole the first idea around release is around just let everything go. Mm-hmm. Just let it go, all the grudges, all the plans, all the ideas, just, just let them go. And try and open up that, that space in my brain. And then uh, the next thing would be to receive. 
And then the idea is, okay, you let everything go, but you need to bring some of that stuff back That's because right. if you let everything go, you're just going to sit in the room all day. Right? <laughs> but you got to bring things back. Twiddling your thoughts, right? right? <laughs> so you can be more thoughtful about what you're going to take back because once you get to the point of being able to release things, you typically consciously don't want to pull back things you don't need. You may, but you don't consciously set out to do that. So then the second point of receive is what are the things I need to get me through this day today? And then deliver just is a fundamental idea is that there isn't any reason to exist, I believe, on this planet unless you are trying to serve some other purpose outside of yourself, whether it's other individuals, friends, and family. And so one way or another, th those three words just kind of calm me. And I'll even say them during the day if I'm having a particularly difficult day. One of those words is going to take care of the, whatever problem I've got in that moment. And that's one of the things I tend to, to Which do is good because you're reinforcing what you're doing in the meditation yes. throughout the day. So you're, you're tapping into that when you need that. Yes. And I, I do that a lot, um, particularly if in, in my meditations, um, if I am, am receiving, receiving some sort of, sort of guidance of uh, how I need to set my intention for the day, I'll recall that. Um, a lot of times, that's what comes out of my, my, my meditations is how I need to, what, what intentions I need to set for my day mm -hmm. to, to, to make, make progress, to do what I need to, to get done. And that always helps me. And mm -hmm. so I just kind of tap into that throughout the day. I think uh, just one other thing, uh, my wife Leslie uh, practices yoga quite extensively and also meditation. And, uh, and she kind of preceded me in terms of starting to do that. And so a lot of times she helps center me and remind me that these are the kinds of things that I set out to do, so I should keep trying to do them. So is meditation one of the things that keep you calm and centered, or is there something else that you do that's in your toolkit to kind of keep you focused and, you know, kind yeah. of centered? I think, yeah, that's one of the uh, items. Uh, the meditation, um, um, I was going to say, came easy. I don't mean that because if it came easy, I might meditate for seven hours a day and I'm never going to do that. But I've, I already have had, my aptitude towards life was pretty calm anyway. I've never been sort of a ranting, raving, lunatic guy. But when you incorporate things like business, mm. you, now you have a whole another set of stressors and a lot of external things that, that come at you. So the meditation was a natural thing for me to, to evolve. The other thing is I, I do the yoga with my wife because uh, when I'm doing sort of the stretching, it's, sort of, it's kind of feeding the body at the same it time is. as you're feeding the mind. And you have to have to do both. I think sometimes, I'm, I'm not sure about this, I'm just sort of blurting this out, but sometimes... Uh, when you start thinking about meditation, then you start to overvalue only what the mind does and you underval undervalue what the body's supposed to do. Absolutely. And the thing is, uh, the, the seat is the body and the body has to has to work well and feel good. And those two things, I think, together combined. But if you want to go to more of a, a business thing, I think um, the, that last tool I think I would use is essentially reminding myself that this, that everything is temporal, yeah. that this this moment is going to pass. And no matter how good or how bad it is, it's going to pass. And I think if you can just sort of exist in that process, then every person in front of you becomes an opportunity to just sort of do things the best way you can in that moment. So I think those would be, it would be the yoga, the meditation, but it's also getting back to the statement where I said that every interaction should be considered a sacred event. And that's hard to do. It is. Because not everyone makes you, makes it easy to look at it as a sacred no, event. No, because it's, it's about being fully present yes. but it's also about coming from the heart yes. you know not being self-serving but mm -hmm. coming from a higher higher level a higher perspective your higher self 
mm-hmm. is really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So I love that. that that's a great, um, a great explanation. Are you an avid reader? Do you yes. read a lot? So you've probably got some books in your toolkit. What one or two books um, would you recommend to others? Well, one of the, the one of the, uh, ones I mentioned already was the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, I the book has been you out since that. I think eighty eight or eighty nine, but I re- I didn't read it until uh, maybe ninety four or so. Uh, I enjoyed that one a lot. I enjoyed um, there's a book called uh, Healing the Heart of Democracy, and the Ooh. author on that is hmm, not escaping me, but the gentleman you know, Parker J Palmer. Parker J. Palmer. Parker J. Palmer. Okay, that and he talks about uh, about using sort of that element of, of of spirituality, but also the element of just uh, respect and and interaction uh, in the political realm. And that was a big uh, that's a big thing right now. I actually read the book after the uh, Sandy Hook shooting. It just happened to be in my library. And that book would just seem to resonate at that moment. Wow. So I thought that was a really good book. I've, I've enjoyed, I read The Four Agreements, which I think is a fantastic book. Yeah. And I've also read several books on um, on systems because uh, in my work, I do a lot of work on, mm-hmm. on systems thinking. So I've read several books by Irvin Laszlo um, and uh, Barry Oshry. These are in, in gentlemen who think about how systems naturally work mm-hmm. and how to evolve with them as opposed to against them. Uh, so um, I think those are those are some authors, and all their mm-hmm. books are are excellent, and they've all been they've all served me well. I was going to say you mentioned a book earlier um, in our conversation before we started the interview um, on it was a it, it a current politician or a former politician on yes. mindfulness. I think, Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, I think the I can't quite get remember the name of the title. I want to say a mindful nation might be the name of the book. Well, if you can get that, yeah. um, we'll put it in the show notes. But tell us just a little bit so about that. So this is uh, written by a politician, and I read this about six or seven years ago, I think. And the politician's name is, um, I think it's Tom Ryan, but I know the last name's Ryan. He's from Ohio. He's mm-hmm. a congressman from Ohio. And uh, he wrote a book about mindfulness, and it's really the first book I ever read, and I thought, this is strange that I'd be reading a book on mindfulness from a politician. <laughs> but he, each chapter seemed to focus on things like education, uh, things on uh, mindfulness with children, uh, how things happen in politics, how they happen in the legal uh, structure. And it, it made me realize that mindfulness is not sort of for, for the individual sort of sitting in a room thinking about it. It's really a... a Impacts all elements of life. Absolutely. And I thought it was really uh, well uh, written. And, and I think you, you helped me remember. Now I forgot again. John Cabot. What was the name? John Cabot Zen. Zen. And he mm-hmm. has contributed to the book somehow. Sort of the father of Western mindfulness. Or, or he's made it, brought it, yes. you know, yes. to, to the West, basically. So and I thought the book was a really good read. And I've read it a couple of times. So it well, might great. Be another, another well, good read. We can confirm that from you. We'll, I will. we'll put that in the show notes because okay. uh, that's something I want to look up myself. Just a few other questions here. What's the best advice you've received from someone? Best advice from someone? I said earlier that uh, I have tended to teach think of my uh, kids as teachers just because they sort of live their life and I've drawn a lot of inspiration not because they're my, my kids and they're special but because it seems like all of those aha moments have come primarily through my interactions with them 
as a and parent. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. So if I can just share one of those stories oh, with you. So my son was a, a somewhat of a mediocre cross-country runner early in his high school career. And eventually, as he got better and better, he started enjoying it more and more, and he got faster and faster. And and uh, towards the end of his sophomore year, he um, was he came to me. He was very excited about a race, and he said, "Hey, Dad, I think I'm going to do a um, a personal best today." I said, "Why do you think that?" Well, the course is flat. It didn't rain last night, and he started he started saying all these things that wow. I thought, okay, I guess these are all reasons that cross country guys go faster. But I said, "Well, what's your what's your what's your strategy?" And he says, well, I'm just going to keep up with Kevin. And I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, they rank us on the team, and they rank us from fastest to slowest. And I'm kind of in the middle at number 45, and Kevin's number 44. And I said, and if he runs faster and I keep up with him, I'll run faster. Wow. And I said, well, so I thought I should jump in with a fatherly <laughs> advice moment and say, well, who's the number one runner on your team? Well, that's Keith. He goes, well, why don't you go after Keith? And, of course, he ridiculed me and said, Dad, Keith, he's the fastest guy around. I can't keep up with Keith. And I said, that's fine. Have fun. So he ran his race, and uh, it was apparent to me he was going very fast. He did really, really well. And at the end, uh, we were very excited, and, and he came to me and told me that he had knocked off almost three minutes off of his time. And I said, well, wow, that's fantastic. And I said, well, how did Kevin do? And he says, oh, Dad, he's, I couldn't even keep up with him. And I said, okay, well, I guess I was wrong. You know, Let's go find him. And when he found Kevin, they started high-fiving each other. They both had wonderful races. But it turned out that Kevin had only knocked off a minute off of his time. Wow. And my son, three minutes. And my son had inadvertently passed him and didn't know it. And he passed him, didn't see him, so he was running faster and faster to catch up with him. And he ended up beating him by two minutes. So afterwards, I realized, I said, see, if... See how dangerous this is? If you would have kept up with Kevin, you'd still have a good story. You'd say you were a minute faster, and then you'd be happy with that. But because of an accident, you ended up being faster than him. And it's not about Kevin. It's about what you, the limitations you put on yourself. So that was always kind of been story A, you know, about what, what a wonderful, wise parent I am. But when I finally realized the most impactful thing about that was that after telling that story for many years, I started realizing, well, what if I'm sort of number 44, and I think I'm keeping up with number 42, and maybe I'm not doing as well, and maybe I'm limiting myself just the way he was, because I don't have maybe a dad telling me that I'm not looking at the world properly. That lesson for me falls into the whole idea about you just can't draw conclusions about things. You need to remain open to any possibility. And so from this day forward, I don't know where I am, where I rank, and I don't even know if you're supposed to rank. I just know that I never think it's okay to stay where I'm at. I want to improve whatever that means. And I think that's one of the best things. Now, he didn't give me that lesson. Mostly what he gave me was a hard time for repeating the story about him. But that's kind of the thing that I really took away from that. I love that. That's a great story and a great lesson that you've been applying now ever since. For a long time. (laughs) (laughs) For a long time, yeah. Uh, Any tips or advice you'd give others to uh, rise up to their best self? Well, I think um, I think what I would say is this: when this is my my sort of own personal bias, I think sometimes when we want to inspire other people, sometimes we make it only about the inspiration and not about and we think about the intention but not the vehicle. And for me, the vehicle is is that I won't hold anyone's interest if I sit there and try and explain how they can be better, or I can be better, without me having a vehicle to to 
as a backdrop. Mm-hmm. So because I'm a businessman, and even though you know I'm not I'm not trying to save the world, I'm not trying to become the richest man in the world. I recognize that you know I have to raise my family. I need to earn a living, and that I earn a living best when I'm able to do my best work, and my best work involves helping lift up people around me. And so it's not about the spirituality. It's about the fact that I have, I'm have i a business guy who's trying to do it the right way, who's trying to be ethical, and who's trying to give a good uh, good example to the team. And that's my vehicle. And now I don't have to figure out if I should go out and spread a word of spirituality. I think what I have to do is just be the best businessman that I can be. Absolutely. And then introduce it when I can. Well, I think that... Um that's a great uh, segue into this next question. Okay. If you were to leave this earth today, what would you like to be most remembered for? See, that's one of those questions that everybody asks themselves every day, and they never actually come to an answer because they think no one's ever going to ask it. That's why I asked it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, honestly, I think that I would want someone to say that I just that I did the absolute best that I knew how to do. And that I treated people uh, with respect. And it's just important that my son and my daughter say that as my co-worker says that to me. Because they're both, they're both important in my life. So I would just like to be known as having done the best I absolutely could every, day, every single day. Well, I think that pretty much sums up who you are mm-hmm. as a person. Well, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to give you my uh, names and numbers of my daughter and my son. Well, just <laughs> based on what you've shared today, I think it mm-hmm. really does sum up you know, mm-hmm. who you are, that you really do want to bring your best yeah. to the table every day and, yeah. and be there that's for others, least, that's help the, others lift up. That's at least the intention. Yeah. Well, Jess, this is a terrific conversation. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed the interview. Um, I What's the best way that people can um, reach you or find more information uh, and connect with you? Okay, so I'm on LinkedIn, and if you have the, uh, the name... Uh, Spelled out on the blog, you want to spell? I mean, on the uh, interview, you want to spell that out now? Yeah. So it's Jess, it's J E S like Sam, S like Sam, and then the last name is Viegas, V I L L E G A S. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, also, you can uh, reach my website, which will have the blog and some of my philosophy, and you can reach me at leading concepts group.com group.com leadingconceptsgroup.com okay yes. we'll get the, all of that in the show notes uh, so that everyone has that um, and thank you so much for being here and I enjoyed um, it thank you yes it's been a it's been a great conversation and for all of you listeners out there I want to thank you for being with us today you can go to our website heartsriseup.com to find the show notes information on this podcast and any other information you want to peruse on the site. We would love also to have you um, provide a review, uh, if you can, in iTunes. And um, you guys have an elevated day. Thank you. Bye for now.